Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to episode 181 of the Square Ball Podcast with Levi Solicitors. 10% of your legal fees when you mention the Square Ball, 20% off for keep workers at the moment. Head to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan. With me remotely is Michael Normanson. Hello. And remotely elsewhere at large, Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. Plenty for you to read on our website. Keep up to date with all the stuff that we are doing at TSB there. There's the free colouring book available in our online shop. And if you've worked your way through that one, there is another one there, an activity book that's been done by Joe Gamble. He's put that together. One of our illustrators, which is Ace. Find that with mugs and clothing at thesquareball.net. Well, finally, we have movement on the resumption of football. And the headlines for Leeds are that relegation from the Premier League is definitely going to be happening one way or another which feels like good news to me. And if the Football League is shut down and they do decide to conclude it on a statistical method, then we're going up. And we should know about all this pretty soon because UEFA's deadline, as far as I'm aware, is May the 25th for the leagues to report how they are going to conclude. So we might well, in the next couple of weeks anyway, wake up one day to find out suddenly we're in the Premier League. But if we are to get promoted, the timescales there in place show that it's going to be behind closed doors. So... We're almost certainly not going to get our data celebrate. Thoughts on that? I feel like I'd long accepted that we're not going to get the data celebrate. So it's essentially it's all good news, is that I can't quite accept that good things are going to happen to us, but it seems like maybe they will. I mean, we can start looking forward to the fact that we we won't have to be there to watch us getting relegated from the Premier League again. It might even go go that far as well. So that'll uh, that'll soothe the pain at the end of next season. So the update, the latest update we've had from the UK government is that there's no professional sport until the 1st of June. Step two of the plan, which not everybody's 100% clear on at the moment, but as far as we can tell, permitting cultural and sporting events to take place behind closed doors for broadcast while avoiding the risk of large-scale social contact. That's the wording of step two of the plan. Start of June. So football looks like it's going to resume in one form or another. Of course, Germany is going to be reviewing in the next couple of days. Are you going to be watching that? Probably not, to be honest. I'll, I'll say I'm going to, and then it'll come to it, and I'll, I'll not bother. I'll be distracted with something else. No, I'm, I'm interested, I think, purely just to see how it works as a kind of a forewarning of what watching Leeds United behind closed doors might be like. And the opening weekend, Dortmund versus Schalke, Erling Haaland versus David Wagner has got um, a lot to recommend it to a, a Leeds fan, our Twin City, with our favoured prodigal son Erling and yeah it's a, a mixture of 
that sounds like a good game in terms of entertainment and then there's the kind of the the macabre interest around it of what is what the the german leagues are describing as a ghost game actually going to look like i went to a dortmund schalke game years ago it was um it's one of the best atmospheres I've ever been in. So to see it behind closed doors, I guess, would be quite interesting. It was, I think, I can't remember the exact position, but I think essentially Dortmund had nothing to play for. But if Schalke won, they won the league and Dortmund managed to fuck it up for him, which was, as you'd imagine, a very sweet day. And what are your thoughts on the FA's intervention then and the fact that relegation is going to be confirmed? Does that settle the nerves a bit for you? Because they kind of took the wind out of the sails a little bit with that Premier League meeting where they learned just before they all got on the conference call together. They're saying, look, we're taking voiding the season off the table. It's going to happen one way or another. It did feel a bit like someone had found a bit of paper in a drawer. They were like, I've got it. Show them this. They can fuck off, which was delightful. I remember pending legal interventions, which is the making a decision to tell UEFA by May the 25th is also pending. UEFA has said this week that they they are willing to extend the May 25th deadline if the Premier League need more time. And, and then there's the, if they don't play games and they go for these points per games ratios there's a lot of lawyers ready to to pick holes in in all of that so i'm not sure it's it's quite as clean and straightforward as that but the the confidence from the fa that it was another little moment to to cheer that there is somebody with the, the power of veto there to say you can't just not be relegated i assume this was the thing that was brought in to to prevent the premier league Pulling up the pulling up the ladder at some stage when it was formed, and not for this actual purpose. But if it can be used for this, then I'm all for it. No, oh, yeah, it's all part of the. Uh, it's in the founders' agreement, I think they, they they call it. So basically, when the football association allowed um, or were part of the Premier League being formed, yeah, for pretty much that reason, I would imagine it's so that the uh, the football league wasn't completely cut adrift. And if this has shown us anything, it's that given the choice. The current Premier League would quite happily pull up that ladder. They were like, "No, I think we're we're happy with this, aren't we?" Yes, Brighton, Bournemouth. Yep, this is lovely. We'll just keep this and forever. Aston Villa's CEO Christian Perslow, pretty much, he put his completely cold-hearted business voice to the wheel of of what's going on when he he was talking about whether relegation should be scrapped. He was saying this last week when he said, we've got a we've got a radically different product that we are all trying to find a way to put back on. At the bottom end of the table, the financial equation is really rather different. It's a much, much smaller revenue base. And of course, the risk of relegation is a £200 million catastrophe. There are no rights and wrongs here. Every club has to protect its own financial position. Not much mention in there as he talks about catastrophes and uh, and disasters and no rights and wrongs of the tens of thousands of people who have died and are dying. But, you know, the radical differences in the product are obviously the, the important thing and the uh, avoiding a £200 million catastrophe is, is what he's got as, at the front of his thoughts. And I think it's maybe a, an evil that the, the game is created by having such a gap between the Premier League and the Championship that the teams at the bottom of the Premier League just can't conceive of being relegated under normal circumstances. If it was a more equitable situation across all the divisions, they might be able to say, oh, okay, yeah, we can go down, we'll rebuild, we'll come back up, we'll, that'll be all right. But they're just looking at this £200 million that they won't get and um, screaming. That's the thing. It's not even about relegation. It's about the money you lose from relegation. That's what people are worried about. No one's... Aston Villa aren't worried that they're going to be playing Luton next year instead of Liverpool they're worried that they're going to be getting less money which is a bit which is a shame because that's not 
relegation didn't used to be the end of a club, did it? It used to be a thing that happened in the 70s and 80s and teams went down and they had to rebuild the team and have another go at getting up, but it was kind of all fine. It's only because we've got this complete cliff edge at the bottom of the Premier League that it's it's become such a mercenary world. The related point to that is the, um, the discussion around neutral venues has kind of moved on and it's gone from just being the bottom six against it who want to play home and away to it seems like half the Premier League and then it's anywhere between 14 clubs and everybody who say we can't play behind neutral venues. One of the reasons being given behind that is the... Um, the agreements around naming rights. So if Club X is playing in a neutral stadium, then the number of times they need their their home ground sponsored name to be mentioned to get the cash from their sponsors um, doesn't get met. And and so all that question of, oh no, it's all about sporting integrity and we've played four games away and we have to play five at home and all this. Actually, no, it's bollocks. It's we named our stadium after a fucking betting company. And if that doesn't get on the radio or the television often enough, then we don't get the cash. Well, the thing that's guiding this is the tripartite agreement, isn't it, that's between the FA, the Premier League, and the EFL. That's what you were touching on before about the founding principles of the Premier League, Moscow. It's that there's an agreement between the FA and the Premier League and the EFL that relegation and promotion is what forms part of the relationship. And it's a three-party agreement because the FA have basically got a casting vote that determines any crucial matters such as relegation and promotion or changes to the league structure, such as more teams being let in or whatever. And they've just said, nah, you need to have relegation, end of story. And I think the other thing that's maybe guiding this and see what you think about this is, I'm not too worried about the legal side of this because I think before they implement whatever solution they're going to implement, they will put it to the clubs, they'll come up with an agreement. And I imagine that all the clubs will have to sign an agreement where they say they won't legally challenge whatever is determined or they may, I don't know, forfeit parachute payments or whatever it might be. I think there'll be some sort of strong arming maybe goes on by the Premier League. Because do you remember when we accepted the 15-point sanction, the reason why we lost it when it came to arbitration was because we had signed an agreement saying we will accept this punishment on the understanding that we don't legally challenge it. And it would not at at all surprise me if the Premier League didn't lean on the clubs and say, if you want your parachute payments, you better, well, sign up to this agreement. That was part of the the quotes from Aston Villa's CEO that um, I didn't copy across, so they're not, they're not in front of me. But he was also saying, like, who in the bottom six is going to agree to a set of circumstances that might cost us £200 million? And I think one of the difficulties is going to be getting everybody to agree a way forward. We've got a, a timeline of meetings uh, this week. The EFL are meeting on Wednesday. There's meetings with the medical boards. There's meetings with the League Managers Association. There's meetings with the, the Professional Footballers Association. And those in particular are about creating a, the protocols for players to go back to training safely and, and how they can be kept safe. And one of the things I've been uh, reading today was about the potential ramifications if a player touchwood dies if they catch coronavirus and they either die themselves or they inadvertently give it to a, a relative and they lose their life who then has the the liability for all that and there's already mention in that of a of players being asked to sign off protocols and being advised legally well if you sign that you're kind of um, implicitly stating that you're happy with the circumstances under which you're being told to go back to work um 
And you should be very careful about signing that because it then means if you then have to to take issue with that at a tribunal or a legal case in the future because something has gone horribly wrong, you've got this piece of paper that says you've accepted it. And then there's this, um, this shifting of future blame between is it the clubs who should be putting the, the protocols in place so that all their players and staff are safe at work? Or is it the Premier League who is doing an overarching plan for all the the clubs to go back and be safe? But then does that then mean if Club X fails to put that plan into into place and a, a player becomes ill, that then Club Y, who've done everything right, are viable. And then they're all saying, well, doesn't this go back to the government who are saying, well, for the good of morale of the nation, we want to get you all playing football again. So come on, sort it out. And, and that's the driver. So there's there's already these, these questions about who should agree to what that then do come up with statements like uh, Danny Rose this week, who what was he saying? He doesn't give a fuck about morale. He's not going to go back to playing unless it's proven to be absolutely safe. And those arguments seem to be the ones that they're going to be having this week of uh, of trying to prove how safe it's going to be, which is, I, I noticed in the midst of all this, that there isn't actually a protocol yet written for how players are going to go back to training. And that feels like that's quite a crucial gap if that, if that's correct, that that doesn't yet exist because the the guidelines that have been drawn up in Spain are so prescribed. It's all about players must come to training in, in groups of three. You can only have, you have to have three changing rooms at the training ground. You can only have three players in each training room at, in each changing room at a time. Once that three have been out, cleaners have to come in and clean it. And then another three can come in and, and use it. Breakfast has to be served to the players kind of left in a, a sterile zone in paper bags for them to come up in small groups and collect. And the whole thing is, is, is so specific and laid down. And then if the situation in in England with the Premier League is that the kind of saying to the players like, yeah, we've not quite worked that out yet. There still feels like this big gap, which I suppose means it's probably quite a good job that they're not due to start playing for another month. You can't imagine these measures are going to filter down to the lower leagues. And what Phil said on the Phil Hayes show uh, last week was that there's this definite split between the Championship and Leagues 1 and 2. We're fully expecting Leagues 1 and 2 to be voided at any given moment, aren't we? And if that happens and the method for finalising those leagues is determined as that weighted points per game, i.e. points per game at home, points per game away, combine your total, see where you end up. If that is put in place for leagues one and two, then we know if the championship cannot be concluded that we're going up then, don't we? We know that. That's largely set in stone. My one nagging concern I have about our promotion is that it would have been more of a concern if Sean Harvey was in charge, in fairness, because this is the sort of thing he would have agreed to without even asking anyone, is that the Football League has no money whatsoever. The Premier League, as it stands, still does have some money. And if there's some sort of payoff offered in the same way as when they changed the the system for the elite play performance plan so that Premier League teams could basically nick lower league talent for not very much money in exchange for a bit more of a of, of drip down from the TV money in the same way as when they changed the format for the Checker Trade Trophy and it turned for a little bit more money. I, don't, I just, my concern is that they'll go, well, you can have this. If you want to not have promotion and relegation for a year, that's fine. And in return, you'll all get an extra £800,000. How about that? It does feel like there's a willingness though on the part of Rick Parry, certainly the noises he's making about parachute payments and the distribution of wealth within the Football League, that he thinks or he's acting like or he's talking like the Football League is heading towards some sort of reckoning where it has to adjust its model and 
maybe this is the catalyst for doing it. So I'm not, I'm not so sure. I don't, I don't think this is this one can have a another few hundred grand shoved at it. We you know as a sticking plaster. It's just because I'm trying to find trying to find what's going to go wrong. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because you do like to catastrophize, don't you? <laughs> exactly. I'm fairly sure Leeds are going to end up in the Premier League at the end of of all this process. I think the uh, the bigger problem there will be the lack of reorganisation in the Premier League. It may well be that the leagues one and two who um, if they can't complete the rest of this season, then they, they sort out a way of, of finishing it on a, on a ratio or whatever. They then have the big question of whether they come back and play next season. And I think there's, there seems to be some murmurings of the bottom two leagues of the Football League just taking next year off because they can't afford to actually play games. So there's reorganisation has to happen under those circumstances and then you come back with something fresh. The conversation that seems to be getting missed in the Premier League is when you you hear about them talking about, oh, you know, we have to have... It, part of the, the argument about playing home and away and, and the sporting advantage that gives you, yes, it's sporting advantage, but only because you get two and a half million pounds for every place up or down the table that you finish. And that two and a half million pounds is vital to Premier League clubs because they're all absolutely overspent on player wages and it, at some point they might wake up and, and just think well why the hell are we fighting tooth and nail for all this money when we could just stop paying the players so much money and I think we, we keep coming back to this point as we we talk about this but I keep thinking about it and and wondering as well how many players at the, the top level in the Premier League even feel like they need to be paid as much money as they are. I'm not sure that the resistance to um, some kind of realignment into sensible realms would be there. I'm I'm a little influenced because I found a, an old, a very old interview with Gordon Strachan. It's about 20 years ago when he was manager of Coventry City, where he was talking about the way that the wages that were just coming into football then, it was during the O'Leary era at Leeds, to give you a, an idea of what we're talking about, and the way that it changed. He was saying it wasn't that the players were particularly greedy or that modern players wanted huge wages. It's that huge wages were suddenly available. So if the star striker was getting £20,000 a week, you had a striker who wasn't very good saying, well, if he's worth £20,000 a week, I should be getting ten grand a week. I'm half as good. And it all—it was more about kind of the, the status and the, the pecking order and bravado and bragging rather than actually... I desperately need £20,000 a week into my bank. And I would wonder if you said to Harry Kane, you can only have £100,000 a week into your bank account instead of £150,000 a week. If, you know, there might be part of him that goes, okay, well, as long as, as long as, you know, so-and-so at Arsenal is only, if Lacazette is only getting the same, well, yeah, that's okay. I don't actually need that extra fifty grand. So whether you can kind of, I mean, it's difficult enough getting everybody in there in the Premier League just to agree where to hold a football match, whether you could actually somehow get them all together and say, you know, this would be a lot easier if you weren't paying 120% of your income out before it's even come in the door. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe we could do something like that. I don't know. I, I keep coming back to just circling around the idea is that would solve so many problems in the game, but I don't think anybody wants to be the ones to kind of push that forward because it, I don't know, the, the rest of the league, there, there was probably enough people there who do want that extra £50,000 a week in their back pocket that they'll fight it so it never happens. I feel like it as well, it needs to be something that would come from FIFA so you can't have 
different leagues with different rules because if you know if, if all but one European league brought that in you'd probably just see all the good players flock to France or wherever didn't bring that rule in you never know but yeah I, I agree like it's it's pointless but then I suppose if, it, if you're relying on FIFA to do it uh to this tactfully FIFA benefit from there being loads of money washing around football and I guess is there a danger that if the players aren't paid as much it will in some way take some of that money out in a way I don't know. Does it kind of reduce overall turnover within football? Is that is that detrimental to FIFA? You get possibly? that massive level of distrust where everyone's going to be like, "Well, I'm not, I'm not doing what FIFA's saying. UEFA are corrupt, so I'm not going to follow anything UEFA's <laughs> saying." I think that's one of the the log jams that is is hitting the uh, the comeback process at the moment, where players are being asked to to put their health in a lot of cases in the hands of the clubs in the Premier League, and they don't trust them. And I think the uh, Sort of does a little bit of a truth being laid bare about the relationship between a lot of players and their clubs, where um, where they're thinking, well, you're ex- you're telling me that that dickhead is going to make sure I don't get COVID. I wouldn't fucking trust him to make sure I didn't get a. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that metaphor's going, but <laughs> um, yes, I would not trust him to give me breakfast, for example. And that's that's then the the question. Imagine it. I mean, it, we've had the impression all throughout this that. That Leeds United seems to be a, um, a blessedly well-run club at the moment with a, a decent amount of harmony. But if you could imagine being a, a player there with Sean Harvey sending you faxes every day to absolutely convince you that oh no we've we've found a very uh, a very affordable COVID testing company. Uh, they're based in the the, the British Virgin Islands, um, and yeah, the excellent testing capabilities. Your health will be very well looked after. You'd think, fuck that. I'm not listening to that idiot. And that I think that situation exists at, at more clubs than um, than they would expect. And it was the same with the the with the actual proposal, the players did take a um, an enforced pay cut. All the players just said, well, aren't the the bosses just going to keep it? Who does get the money if we're not we're not going to it? So yeah, it's the fact that everybody fucking hates each other is going to be a real problem. And follow the money. It's always about the money. And I think in terms of what you're saying about the rebalancing of of finance in football, I just don't think there's a political desire for it within the FA within the Premier League. They like having this kind of Harlem Globetrotters style league that they can market around the world and sell for billions. To overseas TV companies, simple as that. I mean, t- top ex- top executives at the Premier League and the FA as well are also on ridiculous money. Which, if players were on less ridiculous money, would start to not quite seem right. Because I'm sure, I'm sure the inflation in those type of positions, like when Scudamore left the Premier League, how much did how much did he get as like a thank you? He got a half million, didn't he? You know, if if all of a sudden the players were earning five grand a week, a half a million pounds for departing. Chief exec would seem a little bit steep, wouldn't would it? Would it be the worst thing in the world if we didn't get promoted? <laughs> if, if you know, the, the Premier League is just going to continue eating itself, but the, the Football League is kind of going to reorganise itself on, along some kind of actual sporting lines so that it felt like a league of football clubs instead of a league of badly run businesses, which is basically what the Premier League comes down to. It's 20 relatively small in the grand scheme of things, you know, compared to a uh, Google or Amazon businesses losing money because they're really bad at running them and they can't control costs. And everybody just has that argument. If you ever try to make 
you know, these these kind of sporting arguments about sporting integrity or whatever. People just go, well, you've got to remember that football is a business now. All right, well, if it's a business, you know, first of all, get fucking good at running it. Because I don't know what other business just thinks, ah, oh, yes, well, we lost £30 million last year. Fantastic result. Everybody's very pleased with, uh, with how this is going. <laughs> we spend more than the money that comes in every year on wages. Brilliant. And we're proud of it. Then, you know, just let them have their really shit league of bad businesses. And then if the actual football competitions are going to be played in the championship, and I mean, God forbid we end up in League One or Two, but in the football league, then then maybe it's a better place to stay. It goes back to what I've always said for years and years and years. I'd love it if we could just win the championship, use that as a way of qualifying for Europe and stay in the championship. The Square Ball Podcast is brought to you with The Athletic and every Friday we bring you the Phil Hayes Show. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about one of the several Judas moves we've experienced in our lifetime and there have been a few, but this one is Alan Smith and his departure to Man United and Phil has a piece coming on that on The Athletic and you get to pick one of the talky bits as well to vote on what you want to hear on, uh, on The Phil Hayes Show. Find Phil on Twitter. Subscribers can listen to that show ad-free via the app, and that's the same place you get Phil's articles, plus all the other podcasts and articles worldwide. And The Athletic has no ads. There's no pop-ups, no clickbait on there. It's just dead interesting stories done right. And there is a free trial with 50% off a subscription if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Well, Victor's been busy then, boys. What's he been up to? Because he's been doing interviews, telling us what he's been up to. But what has he been up to? Analysis. What's he always up to? He's always analysing players. He's always turning, uh, what's it like to say? You have to turn data into information. Something like that anyway. I can't remember what his catchphrase is. So if anybody hasn't seen the interview with Guillaume Balaguer for the BBC, what is the thrust of what Victor was saying? I just want to talk separately about Guillaume Balaguer. I once saw him in uh, Cold Lane Social in Leeds and really drunkenly spoke to him. So he's not probably got the finest impression of Leeds fans. Cause I was, and he wouldn't tell me why he was there either, which was sneaky. I've no idea. It was in Victor Alter's time though, so maybe he was going to be speaking to him, but I never saw him do anything at the time. It was Thomas Christensen era, so I don't know what he was planning, what he was doing. He's, he's an untrustworthy character, if you ask me. Fancy not telling a, a really drunk man your secrets. What were you doing in Cold Lane Social? don't know, really. Drinking. Drinking a cocktail with a, like a lime that was on fire. I think it's a lime with a sugar cube in it, and it was on fire. I can't remember. It was a work night out. I wasn't, obviously, I wasn't paying for the drinks. That's, that sounds expensive, doesn't it? What did you say to Guillaume? What are you doing here? And he said, oh, I can't say yet. It's a, for something I'm working on. And I went, go on, tell me. Tell me it. Tell me. Tell me. And he, he didn't. So uh, that was about the end of it. Maybe he was there speaking to Victor Alter about something, is what I've concluded since. Well, Victor's comments now is basically that, yeah, it is. I, I was joking about analysis, but it's not a joke. Of course, he's doing more analysis Um because he was uh, essentially the with no transfer market at the moment. And um, in the same piece, Guillem talks to some agents and some other guys on the business side of, of football. And that agent in particular just said, we're not offering players to clubs at the moment because it's just not the time. Nobody's doing anything like that. But um, but yeah, Victor's trying to get all his, his ducks in a row so that we've got good knowledge of who might be available. Victor says that uh, now... The availability of players and the new budget is really uncertain and perhaps it's a good moment for our analysis to be deeper and more concrete. Then at the next step, we have all the targets and we can make better decisions on signings. So maybe like checking twice on whether J. Roy Gross is going to be the, the striker of the future or, you know, just this report that says this player is the new Pavel Chibitsky. 
could we watch some more videos of him or is there any other information we can get? My algorithm's just turned up a, a good left back who's been playing uh, in Belgium this year. He's, uh, oh no, it's him again. Successfully avoided relegation. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we said that the arse would fall out of football just as we got back into the Premier League and it's happening? In some ways, this is good because it's before we've actually spent that money. If we'd have gone up and spent £100 million and signed a load of players on five-year Premier League contracts, it would have been a worse time. As it is, our squad is kind of all right. It's fairly low paid relative to a Premier League team. It's a good time to have Bielsa, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Someone who can actually, who is willing to work with what he's got as opposed to just crying about needing another seven players through the, through the door before he can do anything with the team. And to be fair to Victor, he has been speaking previously, as we've, we've said, about how he's he's ready for this new world of football and almost seems to be relishing it a little bit because he, he doesn't strike me as somebody who enjoys that big marquee signing business. He does want the players to come through academies and be able to train them up and develop them because as I've, I've often said this and I mean it in the nicest way possible I think he lives in a kind of like a dream world where football manager is real and that's his life and he he absolutely <laughs> loves it you know his, his career path from being a journalist and then becoming a sporting director in in Spain and at St Petersburg and then at St Petersburg and then and then Middlesbrough and here and he, he and now Marcelo Bielsa, he's essentially Marcelo Bielsa's boss. That is the kind of thing that when we've we're, we've been playing chat manager on the extra ball and whatnot and trying to get Bielsa in as our assistant manager, that is actually his real life. I think he loves it, and I think he loves it from from that perspective. And uh, and he, he has a, a very charming trust in the. I love his quotes about the contract negotiations that will have to happen with the season going beyond uh, the 30th of June, where he just says, um, it looks complex, but it's one player, two teams, changing the date. I trust in the goodwill of people and relationships that we can make that happen. And uh, and then I think about what Brighton's chief executive has been saying about all the, the weasel ways they want to try and get out of relegation. And I think, Victor, just make sure you really get Ben White's loan, loan extension in writing. Just... Very, very careful there, Victor. Just don't take his word for it. I know he's a nice guy. I know you trust him. Just make sure he writes that down. Signature. Yeah, when he says, in this moment, we talk about helping each other and football is the same. This is a crisis. And if anybody takes benefit, for me, it would be a big surprise. I don't think the football industry will do this. It's like, you might just want to just want to check what the Premier League is doing at the moment. Just, I don't know. If you don't think, if you think Man City won't pull the plug on Jack Harrison because they realise they can now sell him for 20 million, then you might be a little bit shocked. The, uh, what he says about the future and the, the changing budgets, because I don't think he's alone in thinking that the, the transfer market in the future is going to be, it's going to be difficult to move players around because nobody's got any money to buy them. There may be bargains to be had because of clubs that are desperate to gain money that they've not got from the, the broadcasting agreements. One thing that we didn't mention about the, the Premier League restart is that they're all they're all rushing back so that Sky won't ask for their £760 million back, but now they've been told that the broadcasters will want something like £300 million back because they're not getting the good broadcasting dates in April and May that they wanted, and they didn't sign up for games behind closed doors. So there's still going to be £300 million missing that Brighton and Aston Villa and Watford and all the rest thought they were doing this to get. So the transfer market is going to be is going to be an interesting and possibly fraught place. So Victor, well, why not uh, why not be brave? He says it's a, perhaps it's a good moment to be brave and give a chance to youth players. Why not make that 
your philosophy now. It's exciting. It could be a new era for teams, which again, you know, who doesn't love an academy on football manager that pumps out the next Lionel Messi when you're in Division 3? It's the best thing about playing football in a dream. That's just made my mind zero in on Jean-Kevin Augustin and um, his role at Leeds United and that we're going to have to see an extension to that deal. And we're probably going to have to sign him and probably will sign him for what is tantamount to our record fee without ever having seen him play. The best thing he's done so far has been looking thin, having, having run on a treadmill for a few months. Ah, oh, well, bring it on. That was raised as a, an issue even before the season got stopped, that if you couldn't get fit in time to dislodge Patrick Bamford and Bamford scored the goals to take us into the Premier League, that we then had this obligation to sign a guy who couldn't dislodge him from the team. But I don't know if it's, if it's materially different from if we just signed him in the summer without having this long period at all, if we just took a punt on a, a striker. It's what every mad club does when they get promoted from the championship. You always get some absolute name out of nowhere from France or somewhere that everybody's then immediately looks on YouTube and goes, he looks brilliant. He looks brilliant, doesn't he? Yep. Been a big fan of his for a long time. Very glad we've signed this player. Nobody's got a clue who he is. You spend about 20 million quid and then you get relegated. So it it's standard issue. I was going to say, are you looking particular at Aston Villa there, signing Wesley last summer for £22 million, for example, who scored, I think, about four goals for them? They always do it. Clubs always do it. And, you know, we almost have a little advantage here in that Augustine has trained with Bielsa and that we have seen him on the pitch a little bit. And is there's probably some truth in the fact that, you know, the six weeks of, of training sessions or however long it was he had with Bielsa before he got injured and the, the shutdown and then following the regime um, while his office probably made him better anyway. So even if we didn't sign him, he, he may be a better player than he was the day he arrived without even kicking a ball in anger for, for Leeds. The question that follows from this then is what do you think we will do this summer? Let's work on the assumption that we are going up in some capacity and that COVID and the finances are going to you know, take a knock because of it. What does this summer look like then for Leeds? Well, once the football's done and dusted. I mean, if the Qatar money lands, it could mean we're in a, a far stronger position than essentially everyone else in the league because we'll be coming up without a large wage bill. No players that we essentially have to get rid of because there are a massive drain on resources and potentially quite a lot of money to spend in a transfer market that has massively fallen apart. So it could be an advantage. I think the Qatar money is probably a very, very big if. And I think without it we would probably be quite constrained because one thing that would have to happen is the wage bill would increase automatically because I think all our players will be on promotion bonuses. Well, we've seen the, the promotion bonuses in the accounts and that money has to come from somewhere as will the salary increases purely for the players we've got before we, we buy anybody. We'll want to sign Jackie Harrison. We'll want to sign Meslier, who we have deals in place for at good prices, but they don't come cheap particularly not in a future climate where I suppose one question that has to be answered is what happens to the season ticket renewal money that the club has already taken in if we're going to have a season played entirely behind closed doors. So one of the first acts of the summer might be giving everybody the money back. So there's there's a lot of that to, to take into account. But I, would, I think the, the upward momentum and the kind of the project which is kind of keeping together what is quite a tightly run um, ship. It's interesting that they're, they're proposing 
for the rest of this season, the idea of uh, being able to make five substitutes in a game, which I've already seen it it raised that that immediately gives an advantage to the, the biggest clubs anyway, because they've got the, the biggest squads um, with the best players in, in depth. I don't know what that would do for Leeds United, probably just make poor old Robbie Gotts feel even worse about his life as he... Uh, <laughs> as he just doesn't get anywhere near to, to getting on the pitch. Um, but we won't have the problem that I think some clubs will be faced with where there will be players they have that they can't afford to keep, but they can't get rid of a little bit like Leeds when we were getting relegated from the Premier League in 2003-04 when we couldn't sell Mark Viduka because selling him would trigger a payment to the the company that we'd loaned his fee off that was going to cost us more than just paying his wages would have so we we essentially just financially disintegrated slowly in Viduka's case instead of all at once same with Eric Backer and Michael Dubry and other players who we signed on those terms and I think um, there'll be a lot of clubs that if you if we were up against them in the Premier League now they would probably have um, a lot of advantages over us but who are going to have to spend the next year doing much more firefighting behind the scenes of their clubs than Leeds United will, whereas where we'll be trying to control an increasing cost base, other clubs will be desperate to try and reduce theirs. And probably even if there is reduced broadcast payments next season or whatever it is, I think the ceiling between what Leeds United is spending now and the income they stand to get from going into even... Um, a Premier League in a time of austerity may still leave us more wiggle room than a club that's already in the Premier League trying to deal with their budget being cut in half. So we'll win it. (laughs) Hope so. And we also, we're looking forward to what happens at Aston Villa because they are in dire, dire trouble. I mean, I think they're in trouble whatever happens, aren't they? By the looks of it. But if they come down, even more so. Which is a shame. I mean, I'm I'm all in uh, all in favour, as I said before. Of I think if some kind of amicable agreement around Premier League players' wages could could be arrived at, I think it would be good for the future of the game. Best for the future of the game is if Jack Grealish is just unemployed. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You can get 20% off as a key worker with our podcast partner, Levi Solicitors, and 10% off for you just for being a square baller. Levi's want to say thanks to everybody who's helped us through the COVID crisis. So if you've got legal stuff that needs taken care of, get in touch with them. They will look after you. Everything from personal uh, law services, such as dispute resolution. There are wills on there, family law, loads of stuff on the business side as well. Loads of businesses looking for help at the moment. So there's employment issues, debt recovery, licensing, everything. You name it, they do it. Uh, 10% discount for you as a square baller, or that will increase to 20% if you are one of the key worker groups at the moment. Get to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Happiness and sadness, joy and despair, heroes and villains. Now then, who's made us happy? Who's made us sad over the last seven days? Your candidates, please. First for the Ken Bates Villainy Award. This is actual Ken Bates getting a nomination this week. He's had a rare mention from Richard Shaw. Do you remember the Coventry foot right back, I think? Or maybe a left back? Yes. Sort of dread, short dreadlock hair. He was around He was around forever, wasn't he? Yes. He, he always made an impression when his card or sticker came up because that sort of chopped off Hullet was a distinctive haircut in the Premier League. Rude Hullet does feature in this story, actually. Uh, when Coventry played Chelsea and Chelsea turned up with a the home kit which clashed. Rude Hullet was one of the people who was initially refusing to wear Coventry's away kit, claiming that Coventry should change kit. So he, he's kind of at the, the start of the story and that created a slight grudge between them. Coventry won that day. Um, but then a couple of years later, when Coventry played Chelsea, Chelsea won 6-1 uh, after they'd had a keeper sent off and Ken Bates came into the changing room with a crate of champagne and said, unlucky, unlucky lads, you kept it down to six. Well done. Which then involved Carlton Palmer picking it up and throwing it at him, which was nice as well to involve another ex-Leeds player. Carlton Palmer threw a case of champagne at Ken Bates. Correct. That's he's suddenly gone up in my estimation. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what to think now, do you? Would um, Would Gordon Strachan have been the manager at that point? He could well have been, actually. Yeah, because Palmer comes up in the the interview I was reading with Strachan that I mentioned earlier, because he's talking about how he has a few ex Leeds players with him. There's a good line about oh, he says um, he says nothing in the coaching courses he did ever prepared him for Noel Whelan. And then um, he says, and he's like, oh yeah, and I've got I have Carlton Palmer comes in here every day now as well. I have to put up with seeing him every day, and uh, I think his his way of dealing did with Noel Whelan live with him. Yeah, he says I, I even had. No wheeling as my lodger for six weeks. I mean, it's always it's actually quite a touching story that one. Noel was so bereft and lost by his his life in Coventry, having been sent to Coventry by his beloved Leeds United, so we could sign Thomas Brolin that he used to just sit on his own in pubs in the afternoon, eating burgers and drinking. And uh, Gordon Strachan sorted him out, and said, "Right, come and live with me and be my son." Yeah, and he also said he was talking about Carton Palmer. He said, "You just have to." You just have to let him be. He's he's an idiot, and you just have to let him be one. You can't stop it, but his heart's in the right place. But he did throw some champagne at Ken Bates, so that's good for him. Fantastic. He's, he's going in the heroes, actually, for that. 
I like to think he chucked the full case at him, as you said, then, and not just like picked out a bottle. Do maximum damage. If you're going to go in, go hard, yeah? Unless it's bottle by bottle. In which case, yeah, good on you. Good on you. Who else do you want to nominate? Um, sticking with Chelsea, I feel very conflicted about this one, but I feel like I have to at least nominate Lee Chapman, who is now 60. He can't be. He is. I refuse to I refuse to accept that. <laughs> he is now 60, 60 years old. And um, yeah, I'm not happy about that either. Um, but I'm also not happy about this. He says uh, he's done a, an interview. I think it's The Independent, um, where he says, I ha- oh no, it's The Eye, which isn't The Independent. But anyway, the, the important matter is when Lee Chapman says, I have a Chelsea season ticket. Although they're not my team, Leeds will always be my team but it's only 10 minutes walk from where I live. Apparently he meets up with some mates and they have lunch and then they go and watch the football and then they have some beers after. I don't think that's acceptable. Nor do I. If it, what if there was some illegal cockfighting going on 10 minutes walk from your house? Would you go and watch that, Lee? Bear baiting, would that be all right? Oh, it's nearby. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. It's what Colin Montgomery did, wasn't it? He uh, confessed to having gone to Chelsea a fair bit because he lived nearby it, but Leeds was always his club. I mean, in fairness to Montgomery, he has been pictured, hasn't he, in the, in the NHS clapping videos. Um, in his Leeds colours. So is Chapman. So we might we might have to f- forgive both of them then, maybe. Can we do that? Or condemn the Chelsea scum, chase after them with rifles. Seems fair. I have checked, by the way, and yes, Gordon Strachan was the manager at that time. Are we double nominating the Premier League clubs for being weaselly and scared of um, relegation? Because we nominated them last week. I think we should s- stick them in there again. Cowards. Yeah, and I also want to give a mention to the distrusting police because one of the things that's kind of being overlooked I feel with the whole neutral grounds thing is that it's being insisted upon by police forces who do not trust football fans to not go and stand outside fucking Turf Moor when Watford come to visit for example and there was a good again this was in the independent I think it's called Melissa Reed wrote a feature today pointing out that if you look at how many Football fans are actually helping at the moment by, you know, we've got the Leeds United Supports Trust running a food bank and that's being repeated across the country. There's a lot of people working to get PPE to to staff who need it and raising funds where that's valuable. And lots of these things end up being led by football supporters because the, the community that builds around the club transfers to its supporters in lots of cases. But then that doesn't tally with when you hear the... Um, police chiefs of the, the country saying that, well, the, the the big threat, the risk to public health and safety is football fans gathering outside matches. And so we have to make sure that, um, that there isn't that opportunity. And it does seem like, yes, if Liverpool have a game to, to win the title, there is probably a risk, um, as there would be if Leeds have a game to, to win the title, if, if fans want to go down and be a big part of that. I think what we saw at the start of the whole crisis when the Paris Saint-Germain fans gathered out their stadium probably would not be repeated now that people are a little bit more understanding of just how serious this has become. You know, we were blissfully ignorant uh, back in those days. I like to think a lot of people would probably be a little bit more tempered in their reaction now. And lastly... If that's the problem and if that's the risk, is it Liverpool fans celebrating a championship or Leeds fans celebrating a championship? Police those games and then the rest of the matches, Burnley versus Watford or whatever, probably going to be all right. I don't think you're going to have massive public order infectious corona parties going on outside Vicarage Road every time Southampton roll up for a you know the biggest game of the season. Most people will probably be quite happy 
sitting at home and watching that on the television rather than standing in the fucking street in the middle of fucking Watford for absolutely no reason whatsoever when people do now understand and are cognizant of the dangers so maybe we could solve that whole question for the Premier League and stop them arguing about the uh, neutral venues if people would just go yeah actually football fans most of them are all right we probably trust them here. Mentioning Turf Moor there, if, if this slacken the rules a bit so you can see family, then Burnley could probably fill the stadium. I agree with Moscow for what it's worth. I think um, I think everyone will be pretty pretty sensible. I mean, back at the start of all this, we were saying, oh, I couldn't imagine thousands of people not turning up. But I think, yeah, the mood has shifted. The mood has completely shifted. Yeah, I mean, you see these dickheads doing the conga on their streets. I think they're more likely to get together now, those knobheads, than... Um, than football fans on mass, I think we're a, we're actually a pretty reasonable understanding bunch when it comes down to it. I think for Leeds fans as well, the club just needs to put out a very strong message saying, "Look, Norman Hunter has died from this. This is very serious. If you come down, you'll be banned. Do not come under any circumstances. You would not be welcome." And I think the vast majority would actually go along with that. I mean, the chances are as well if we do get promoted via this points per game or whatever, we're going to find out one morning, aren't we, or something? It'll be just announced, and that's it. It's done. And it's not going to be, a, a, you know, based around a single occasion or perhaps a, like a, a Saturday night. They're not going to announce it when suddenly um, everyone might decide that they want to get pissed at Ellen Road or whatever. And if there is an occasion, if it does come down to Liverpool's title being decided by a game on the pitch or Leeds United's title being decided by a game on the pitch, if people are going to get together to celebrate that, that's going to happen wherever the game is played. You could play that game on the moon and people would still go into Leeds who were going to go into Leeds anyway and celebrate it. So it just becomes this very focused matter of how you police those days. And yeah, plan those carefully if you want to. It, it's probably easier to have the game at Elland Road or at Anfield in those circumstances because then you know what the the, 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 the gathering point is going to be. And you can make a plan around that. And it's just the idea that the the entire world of football needs to shift its arse around into some really uncomfortable pants just to accommodate a couple of games where people might want to go and stand outside and have a look. I think there's better ways around it. And a lot of it is is built on trust and, I don't know, football fans are probably... Maybe I'm uh, I'm giving us too much credit, but if you trust us, we do tend to, to work well back. The policing that we see from Preston, for example... That works. That kind of attitude is much more effective with football fans than saying you can't have an open can of beer within 20 miles of a football ground. Right then, back to heroes and villains after that one. I think we got a little bit sidetracked there. Who else? Uh, Jason Pierce's car thieves. He's got car thieves. His car's been nicked, apparently. <laughs> you do kind of make it sound like he's running a car, a car theft ring. Yep, they're his thieves. And he's like um, Fagan. He's just in charge of all these car thieves. That's what I believe is happening, right? No. Explain then. Oh, bless him. Somebody's nicked his, he's put the video out um, of some people nicking his car off his driveway and he's not happy about it. It's not a nice thing to do to anybody, least of all during a, um, a coronavirus crisis, which is how it got um, the headline that brought this to my attention said, uh, X Leeds Portsmouth and now Charlton star um, has car stolen during COVID-19 crisis. And as if, Things weren't bad enough for Jason Pierce. Um, Cellino, he was here under Cellino the first time around, wasn't he? Yeah, probably. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they must have uh, crossed over. Oh, that's it. Yes, of course, because it was 
it was Jason Pierce and Scott Wharton playing together under Hockey Day on the first day that made him rush out and buy um, Liam Cooper and uh, Giuseppe Belushi. <laughs> they were also sat around watching Ross McCormack on Sky Sports News, I think, weren't they? I seem to re- recall mentioning that in one of the Extra Ball episodes as well on the Mad Friday. That's right. And that's also his contribution to um, to Matt Smith's departure. The don't go to bed yet thing was when he, he went, uh, didn't he tweet something like decent this? Mm. And he claimed later it was to do with a, a TV program that he was watching <laughs> rather than um, that somebody at the club had said, oh, if you could kind of big up our transfer business for us. So anyway, yeah, Jason Pierce could be uh, his new boss. His new boss could be the same as the old boss because there's rumours that Massimo Cellino has had it in Italy yet again and wants to get out of there, buy an English club, and he wants Charlton Athletic. Although... At the same time, I'm nominating Chilino as a villain here because I think it was last week or the week before we were praising Massimo for his fortitude and his the way he was being consistent and having the courage of his convictions, saying that he absolutely did not believe it will be safe to play football during the, the COVID-19 crisis and he will not let Brescia back onto the pitch. And if that means relegation, that means relegation. They'll just try and get back up next season. Um, well, to quote Massimo Chilino, I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. I've adapted to the consensus. We must try to resume the season. Otherwise, everyone here will go out of business. So he's he's fucked off. That's um, His fortitude lasted fucking five minutes, as fucking usual. Also, his his memory has failed him here as well, because he's basically saying he wants to get out of Italy because he doesn't like it there anymore. Maybe he'll go back to England. But I seem to remember he didn't like it here either. There were several times during the end when he was like, he was throwing his hands up and he's like, ah, oh, Maybe the supporters can have the club. Fine. Anyway, I'll change my mind again. All right, maybe I'll just get rid of it. Maybe I'll just ride the whole thing up. You don't like it anywhere, Massimo. I always, don't just You don't need to own a football club either. I always remember my favourite when he was saying, uh, oh, I'll never, I'll never hire another English coach. I fed up with English coaches. They're nothing but trouble. I go I go on to Whitley. I'm going to find a special coach. And that's when he hired Gary Monk. It's almost like... He hasn't got a clue what he's talking about, and it's all on the hoof. Um, are those all our candidates? Should we pick a, um, a Ken Bates villain? I feel like the people who nicked Jason Pierce's car. I can't be angry at Lee Chapman. And, I mean, Jason Pierce, bless him, not one of my favourite Leeds players. I thought he was appalling as a captain. <laughs> but, but he's had a tough time. It wasn't an easy time for anybody at Leeds. We, we, we maybe It wasn't his fault he went out on the pitch in the Sheffield Wednesday 6-0 with a label inside his, his shirt. Somebody could have told him. Somebody could have given him that help. Maybe it's the same people who've now nicked his car. Maybe he just he has kind of like a hex on his life and his terrible ill fortune just keeps happening to him. He's like unlucky elf off the fast show. I'm going to try and arrange an interview with, now with him so you can open it with, I thought you were appalling as Leeds captain. <laughs> well, I do. I mean, I did. And the main reason I said is, do you remember when... Um, Giuseppe Belushi was charged with racism in the, the Norwich game. Yeah. And him and Milinic both basically went, ah, nothing to do with us. Yeah. Jason Pierce's nervous chuckling when Adam Pope said, as captain of Leeds United, what, what do you think about this? He was like, don't think, don't think you should, it's not really open to do with me. Someone else, you should be asking someone else that, that, that question. You're the fucking captain. So, yeah, as a captain, I thought he was appalling. But I don't think his car should be stolen. Give him his car back. Be nice. And he doesn't need Cellino as his boss again. I'm sure that didn't help him at the time. Right, he can have the uh, Ken Bates Villainy Award, or they can anyway, the um, the thieves that liberated his car. And a Hughes Hero Award. Candidates, please. Leeds United. 
I believe for the second week week running. It's not often if you go back to the early days of this podcast, Leeds United were very rarely a hero on this, but they seem to be doing some nice things. Um and it was the Norman Hunter's funeral this this week and they put out the video of them taking the coffin through the stadium and stuff, which was very moving. So well done for that. Yeah, that one broke, didn't it, as we were doing the live stream over the weekend. I think it came out at exactly the time that we started it. An absolutely devastating image of his coffin just laid there at the side of the pitch. That one, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a wound of that. Yeah, it did make the start of that um, championship manager session a little bit difficult. I was hearing you two idiots in my headphones chirping on about who we should fucking sign on football manager while looking at that and thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. But then um, when I had the time to actually sit and, and process this and, and look at it um, properly, yeah, I think that the nomination is for making that happen because it's um it's not easy at the moment for um for people to get to funerals for loved ones the way they would want to and there's probably a lot more of those funerals going on than anybody would like and although i suppose in one sense though and the family are fortunate that this kind of thing can be arranged for them i would hope that um any leeds fan who's lost anybody lately would feel hopefully a little part of that um, was for them too. I think that should be taken that way. Another tough one as well this week for the people who want to commemorate the Bradford fire and the people in the city of Bradford. I mean, I'm, I'm from Bradford and I can remember how profoundly it affected the city. I mean, it's probably, that is one of my earliest memories now as a kid growing up because it was the same day as Birmingham and we didn't go to Birmingham, me, my mum and my dad, because they, they knew there was going to be a lot of trouble. And as it was, Ian Hambridge, the young Leeds fan, lost his life. So obviously we've been remembering him this week, but to then see the Bradford City fire unfolding just a few miles from our house. It was it was absolutely devastating and it's had very, very long-lasting effects in the city and, and everybody knows somebody who was involved in that. It's um, it's been, it's a really, really heavy one and so not to be able to not commemorate it this week when it was 35 years, the 35th anniversary, was a real crying shame. So a nod in the direction of Bradford if we could. I don't think any Leeds fans would begrudge that. I don't think, I think everybody in West Yorkshire of that generation probably gets it, gets where where that's coming from. And it's one of the things that kind of club rivalries get set aside once a year. And because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like you, a little bit younger than you. But so my first memory of it, I had this, this incredibly dim, vague recollection of Harry Gration talking about it on, on Look North that meant, so from the age of five, I would have been then. And I can remember for years afterwards if ever we were going on a, a trip in the car that took us through Bradford I would be looking around trying to catch sight of this football stadium that something bad had happened and just had, always had this kind of um, kind of like a shadow memory that that's something that has happened around here and I think um, for the people who who when I grew older and understood what it was and you know you appreciate what it must have been like for the people who actually lived through it so it wasn't a, a shadow memory it was very real painful recollection of something that they all went through not just for the day but I suppose as you said you had the, the repercussions and the the evidence of it in the the shape of the the stadium for a long time afterwards so I think yeah the the little much as Leeds United got it uh, got it right over the weekend Bradford kind of they always uh, they always go about remembering uh, the Valley Parade fire in the right way and there's a lot of Leeds fans in Bradford as well and all the rivalries aside I think Leeds fans have always understood, the Leeds fans in Bradford have always understood the magnitude of it. And, you know, because you're talking about mates in the pub who've had family members involved or know these people. So you can you can actually put the 
the interclub rivalries aside when it comes to stuff like this. If you want to understand a little bit more about the Bradford Fire as well, I will point you in the direction of the John Helm interview that we did on the Extra Ball. Um, it's available for free on this podcast feed if you want to hunt it out. And he was commentating on the day and he was commentating on the video that was used in fire training around the world about the speed at which fires can take hold. So if you want to understand a little bit about what that day was like and, and John's testimony from that day, really, really powerful and learning about the stuff in the aftermath, uh, well worth a listen. So continuing with Andy Hughes' heroes, then let's find another nomination if we can, please. Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, House and Beckford, Andy Hughes, that lot getting promoted on that uh, 10 years ago, which is scarcely believable that was 10 years ago, but it is. Some, someone informs me, so that was nice. And it was good to see. I've, did, I've not seen the whole thing back yet, but it was quite nice to see some of the clips of them watching it together, of Beckford Hughes and Ben Parker watching it together on the official site as well. So we're going to work, well, we're going through that season at the moment on the extra ball, so we'll, I'll watch that in the next couple of weeks anyway. So, But good to remember all those times and see all the pictures and stuff and remember a time when football was fun. It was very nice on that to see Andrew Hughes recognising that Bradley Johnson is the player to watch as the ball goes across to bounces towards Beckford before he puts in the net. That even the players have all noticed him jumping up and down um, at the edge of the pitch, urging Beckford to put that ball in the net. It is great. You can you can almost hear him like almost shouting, "He's going to score! He's going to score! He's going to score! Oh, he scored!" <laughs> it's what we were, I think. It's how we were all experienced that goal, more That's or less. It. It's lovely that the. Uh, the players see it the same way. It's nice when you, you kind of align with your heroes that way. It guts me now, more so that I've missed that day because I was on my mate Stagdu, which I've talked about on this uh, podcast before. My mate Stagdu over in Manchester. So I, I was convinced that we were going to be promoted long before this because of how we'd started the season. So I'd arranged to go on it, no problems. And obviously once you're involved in something like that, you can't back out. But given that we're essentially going to be denied having a day like it at Ellen Road or a day of celebration for going up, I now really regret missing the Bristol Rovers game because I've never seen us go up at Ellen Road. It's right. Moscow said we're going to win the league next year, so you can celebrate that. I just wanted the promotion more than anything. Uh, like 90 and 92. Uh, I think 90 was more fun than 92 in many ways, but uh, well, we'll see. Eh? We'll see. Oh, your other one, Michael, actually. Yeah, you've got, you said you had two. Hobbit feet. Yeah, we all know Hobbit feet. No. He's, a, <laughs> he's um, I guess, a young man from an Aston Villa forum that was brought to my attention on Waco this week. Someone just in the general discussion of Villa going down and stuff. Hobbit feet says um, he's. A, I guess he's guest Brummy, isn't he? It'll be a sad and upsetting day when he leaves, which unfortunately will probably soften the blow a bit. Same guy abroad. I could really see him playing for Barcelona. He'd be a great long-term prospect for them, and could learn and eventually take over from Messi as their talisman. I mean, he's talking about Jackie Harrison here, is he? Jack Grealish on his day is a. An or a reasonable Premier League footballer, but I mean, he's suggesting that, that he basically is he's good enough. I mean, he Jack, Jack Grealish isn't eighteen either. He's like mid twenties. He's as good as he's going to get essentially, and he's there suggesting he takes over from arguably the best player to have ever lived. Where has this delusional opinion of Jack Grealish arrived from? I don't get it. I really don't get it. He's fine, isn't he? He's he's all right. I've seen him play well. I've seen him play terribly, but he is in a completely different world to Lionel Messi. So for an Aston Villa fan to be deluded enough to think that Barcelona might be taking a look at him and going, maybe this is the guy, you know, is just bizarre. But it cheered me up anyway. The other crucial difference is if you go on YouTube, I mean, that is, uh, people will take issue with the, the truth of the claim, but you can find videos on YouTube 
subtitle things like Lionel Messi uh, never dives. And you can watch like 10 minute videos of him being kicked all over the place and staying on his feet. There are times I acknowledge before anybody picks, you know, if Team Neymar is cranking up, Messi has dived in his career, but I don't think you would be able to make a 10 minute video of Jack Grealish standing up to tackles. So until he's maybe at that level. Just not even to tackles, just standing up. Anyone near him normally is enough to knock a man over. He just doesn't like people in his when orbit. When that Birmingham City fan ran on the pitch and just tickled the back of his head, down, down like a, t- a ton of bricks, wasn't he? And you see with Grealish that he goes missing so often in games. I mean, they'll go, oh, you're obsessed with us, you are. You're obsessed, look, talking about the Villa game, but we're just talking about this because we're onto it now. And your daft fan drum pointed us in this direction. But um, he's, he's fine as a footballer. Yeah, you're right, he is, he's fine, but... I look at the football that Bielsa's side has produced now for nearly two years and then I look at what Jack Grealish outputs on a football pitch. You know when they wax a lyrical about him on Match of the Day and it's like he makes the odd run here and there. Like he's not busting his balls to get on something or whatever. He just he just seems to trot around a little bit like a show pony only ever popping up at the moments when he's got the opportunity to look good. You know, he, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to graft. And you've got to remember, everything good he does, he does while being a complete wanker. I was going to say as well, the other thing to, to compare with on, with on Messi, with Dan's point, is if you see a, a Barcelona game over the last however many years that Messi's been playing for them, where they've been playing badly and they've looked like they're not going to win, they win because he does something. So he'll, he'll sort it out in the last 10 minutes. If, if Messi had grown up at Aston Villa and was now in Aston Villa's first team as Lionel Messi, but had the same feeling for that that football club and the same drive, they would be, they could still have, what was he called, Wesley, they could still have Glenn Whelan and they would be winning the Premier League because he would make sure every game, right, we've been shit today, I'm winning this. Whereas, yeah, as you say, with the, I, I somehow don't think Jack Grealish has the same drive, determination, talent, ability, character. Has Lionel Messi ever been to Ross McCormack's house for a piss up during a lockdown? I mean, I'll tell you what, there were times during Ross McCormack's best season for us when I, I was surprised that Barcelona weren't coming in for him. Because he did that, didn't he? He dragged us over the line in very many games. He really, really did. He was our Messi, not just compared to, but he was our Messi in that, in that and season. I think the only thing that stopped him from properly taking over from Messi is that we just didn't get a bid. But you're right though, in drawing on that example of Grealish going over to McCormack's, as soon as you, you saw that story and you knew that he'd done it, you thought that there is a mark of the man and is the reason why he will never go to the very, very top because he doesn't care enough. He's not disciplined enough. Have you seen, I assume the video I watched of Messi doing it was contemporary, that he's done it during the lockdown of him breaking the the world record for that game where a machine volleys a ball at you and you kick off all the numbered balls in a goal. So that's what Lionel Messi is spending lockdown doing, assuming they've got the timings right. Breaking world football records with Jack Grealish. Piss up at Rosses? It's not really the same, is it? Who's your Andy Hughes hero for this week? Lionel Messi. (laughs) And Marcelo Bielsa loves him. I think he more or less made him the player he is, I would say. Can we give it to Leeds this week? Yeah. As long as that includes House and Beckford. Um, Shane Lowry? I mean, he was there. Gradles. McSheffrey was there as well, wasn't not he? Him, not him. Not him. Um, <laughs> but Sanchez, what? Definitely. Just that uh, that 2010 promotion team. They should. We've got no other glory to shine a light on, on the football pitch at least this weekend. So they can just have a little bit of that, the edge of the torchlight that we're, we're putting on the club. 
yeah, I thought it was a lovely tribute and a lovely opportunity that Norman Hunter was uh, was able to say goodbye to Ellen Road one last time. So yeah, capped off Leeds United. Thank you just for being there, and thanks for your good work. And it wasn't a way the best of both worlds we were able to celebrate Ellen Road full at its most rocking, and then that it's also a very special place while it's empty too. That wraps it up then for this week. We've got more over on the extra ball. We continue our journey through 2009-10 and we're going to be looking at, as Michael said earlier on in the show, January the 3rd, devoting a whole episode to that, picking it apart because we had lots of fun putting together the oral histories for that for our winter special, amongst many other things. That's available on our website as well. The Championship Manager 0102 podcast on there as we piece things together in our first close season and you can find links to the extra ball and our merchandise store, mugs, t-shirts, and all that sort of stuff at thesquareball.net. We'll catch you next week. Goodbye. The Square Ball Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.